good morning. How are we sounding, good? Yeah, okay. I was gonna use my iPad to take notes and then technology failed me, so I have my paper copy here. Um, so today I wanna talk about something that, that impacts literally everything that we say, that we do, that we think, that we believe about our lives, about the faith, about the world, and that is culture. So if you didn't get one of these papers when you walked in this morning, um, to follow along with the message, I'm not collecting it, I'm not reading it, I'm not grading it, this is purely for your purposes. I think there's gonna be maybe some new concepts today, um, so you can fill in as we go along, grab one of those little teeny pencils in the pew in front of you. Um, if you're joining us from online, we have, there should be a link available that you can click on, so you can either download it and print it off, or if you wanna just fill it out on the computer, you can do that too. So that's this handout. Um, if you don't have one, you can raise your hand. Mickey has some in the back there, um, and he can hand them out to anybody who needs one. Okay, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Olivia Morales. Yeah, keep your hand up until Mickey finds you. Um, my family started coming to Second Baptist when I was about eight years old, um, and I got married and moved away, but now my husband and I are living in Belchertown, so here I am again. <laughs> And we got a nugget on the way, so. Um, before I dive in, I did wanna just say that if you are interested in learning more about cultural diversity and how it applies to our faith, and if you'd like to pursue that a little bit further, I wanna in extend an invitation to a book study that I'm gonna be starting mid-September. Um, it'll be a deeper dive into some of the concepts that Dr. Casham introduced to us a couple weeks ago and the things that I'll be talking about today. So come talk to me after church if you have any questions about that. Um, and I do wanna just clarify that even though I'm gonna be talking a lot about the differences between cultures today, and the title of the book that I'm doing is called Learning from the Stranger, I do just wanna say that it's important for us to not view somebody who comes from a different cultural background than we do as, as other or as stranger or foreign in a less than human way. Humans are humans, and even if there are any major cultural differences between us, we're all made in God's image, and therefore with an inherent dignity. So when we encounter someone from a different cultural background than us, I hope that our reaction to them is not you know, a stranger or a foreigner, but rather a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, family, et cetera, et cetera. So without further ado, um, I'd like to define some terms with you, and you can hop ahead. Um, let's start with the gospel. Okay, so the gospel is something that most of us are familiar with, um, but I do wanna give just a quick overview for the sake of continuity. So let's look at what we call the meta-narrative. The meta-narrative is just a fancy way of saying this is the big overarching story that we see woven throughout all of God's interactions with creation, and of course, throughout the Bible. A fancy term for this is missio dei. Missio dei is essentially the mission of God. And it's the big, beautiful plan that God has for all of creation. So I have it represented here on this graphic, but in the grand scheme of eterni eternity, it is not so linear and it is not so simple. Um, but we're just gonna use this as a framework for understanding. So the first piece of it is creation. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth with all the people and all the animals and everything else. Um, and it's important to note that God made the world perfect and was in perfect relationship with his people. Phase two is the fall, which as we know, 
sin entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve and Satan's temptation. And what's important to note here is, was especially horrible about it is that it made a break in the relationship that we had with God and separated humans from God. Phase three, which is where we are currently, this is the phase that we are in now. It is also not yet now. It's that tricky in between, it's happening, it's not happening. This is the part where God said, even though humans broke the relationship and messed it up, I'm gonna come and restore it and I'm gonna redeem it. Um, so that's what the redemption phase is. That's God taking our mess and putting it back together again. And so the last piece of it, the consummation, I say is a fancy way of just saying this is the grand finale. This is God saying, here's the, you know, here's the final bow. Here's, here's how we conclude all of this. So even though we live in a broken world right now, Christ is coming. Christ is going to restore all of those things. He's going to make it all new. And what it means for us is that right now we live in a broken world, but we have a hope of this foretaste of this hope that is to come. So that's the big picture of the gospel. So here's the kicker in all of that. Despite our shortcomings, our failures, and our sins, God, in his infinite love, grace, and mercy, you can go to the next side, invites us to participate in this glorious story for ourselves while we are being transformed um, in hopeful expectation of his grand finale. So God is inviting us to be a part of this beautiful work that he's doing. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us to be a part of it. And that's the beautiful and rich purpose that we have. Okay, so now that we've talked about the gospel, let's get into culture. So culture, I wanna start off by saying culture is not all bad or all good. As we just saw in the meta-narrative of the gospel, humans are made in God's image, but we also live in a broken world. So because culture is made up of people, it means there are good, bad, and even neutral components of culture. There are many big cultures in different countries around the world, but there are also many mini-cultures within each different country. You have urban and rural cultures, there's enclaves of ethnic groups, there are different cultures even within the same town in different generations of people. So there's a lot to culture. And let's, let's unpack it a little bit. <clears throat> so I wanna just say, why is it important for us to understand culture? Well, I'm gonna argue that when we understand culture better, it means that we can know and love God ourselves and others better, which thereby makes us a better participant in this Missio Day. So let's look back at the verses that Chris read for us this morning. So what Paul is saying here is that in order for us to truly love the world and fulfill the Great Commission, we have to be able to understand the people around us and make ourselves understandable to them. He doesn't compromise the law of God, but he says that he does everything that he can to make himself understandable and relatable to people so that the message of the gospel is understandable and relatable. So let's talk a little bit about defining culture. Um, it can be difficult to define, but to boil it down, I have three metaphors that I like to use. All right, so the first is a fish in a fish bowl. So 
some fish like salt water, others like sweet water or fresh water, some like cold water, but no fish can exist without the water. This is the same with culture, okay? It differs from place to place, but it's all around us, and oftentimes we don't acknowledge it. It's really easy to identify someone else's culture because it highlights the differences. For example, a warm water fish is going to notice immediately if you put it into cold water. Culture is simply a framework of existence. Try to imagine how we could possibly operate as a society if we didn't have the framework or the structure of culture, things like currency, families, laws, morals, et cetera, et cetera. We cannot operate without culture any more than a fish can operate without water. Okay, so our first metaphor is the fish bowl. The second metaphor is an iceberg. So, things that you see at the surface, food, clothing, music, language, et cetera, et cetera, those are just the tippy top. Underneath, we have things like manners, etiquette, morals, values, et cetera, et cetera. Not only are these things beneath the surface that we can't see, but it's important to note also that it's what's beneath the surface that is informing what comes up to the top. So, for example, when should you arrive to a party? 15 minutes before the start time or four hours after the start time? What's rude and what's appropriate? Well, the answer is it depends on your cultural context. The right thing to do will likely be informed by a cultural value that's below the surface. Are you in a culture that prioritizes and operates primarily around relationships? Or are you in a culture that prioritizes and operates primarily around time and efficiency? These below the surface values are gonna come into play with all sorts of customs, traditions, and things that we do of, with different expectations in every single sphere of our lives. Okay, so first metaphor was the fishbowl. Second metaphor is an iceberg. The third metaphor is glasses. It has to do with how we view and interpret the world. So I wanna tell you about a story of a boy that I worked with. His name was Musa from West Africa. Musa saw me chewing on a pack of gum and he asked me if he could have some. Without a second thought, I took the pack of gum out and I handed him a stick of it. He did not take the piece of gum. Instead, he looked at me as if I had just spit in his face and he said, I can't believe you just did that. He said, my dad would have slapped me if I had done that. From my cultural lens, I thought I was behaving in a perfectly normal way. And I didn't understand what was going on. Why was he upset? Well, this was a cultural misunderstanding. I come from a very individualistic culture, so my lens leads me to first think about myself and my actions. From Musa's cultural lens, he thought I was being rather stingy. Musa comes from a communal culture, meaning his lens leads him to think first about those who are around him and how his actions are directly impacting and interrelated to those who are around him. He was expecting me to offer him the entire pack of gum and not just one single piece. No. 
It's my gum. I paid for it. If I feel like sharing, that's a nice thing for me to do. But really, it's above and beyond the call of duty and quite generous if I do decide to do that. And honestly, it's perfectly acceptable for me to decline sharing that piece of gum if I want to. From Moose's, Moose's cultural lens, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. It's expected that everyone would share with everyone, and generously so. In other words, the whole pack and not one measly piece. His father would have reprimanded him for sharing just one piece of gum, because in his cultural context, that's considered very rude. Now remember, as I said before, culture is not all bad or all good is not to say that my cultural lens is right or wrong or Musa's cultural lens is right or wrong. They are certainly different, but the point here is that think about how significantly our cultural lenses interpreted have made us interpret the same exact situation that happened in front of us. Okay, so there's our three metaphors and I'm gonna have you say them out loud with me. Number one, fishbowl. Number two, iceberg, and number three? Glasses. Okay, now we've defined culture. <laughs> but I want us to think about the how. How do, we, how do we understand and communicate culture well? I want you to consider for a minute marketers and comedians. The very best of both have the same thing in common. They truly understand the culture that they are communicating to and are therefore able to predict and elicit the types of responses that they are looking for from others, whether it's to make you laugh or to get you to buy a product or get behind a political idea. Marketers and comedians understand the value of truly knowing a culture and use that knowledge to further their purposes. How much more then should we as Christians, with an even more important message, be good students of culture in order to effectively live out the gospel and communicate it to the world. So I've got five practical steps that we can take to help us on this journey. Number one, we wanna be a good student of culture with a humble learner's posture because we will never arrive at knowing everything about culture. There are always going to be things for us to learn, and I would argue there are even things that we should consider unlearning. We want to familiarize ourselves with what exactly culture in general is and understand that everyone, everyone, no exceptions, has a culture. We want to grow in understanding other cultures. We can do this by traveling to other countries, but to be honest, there are so many different cultures here in the United States. You don't have to go far to meet somebody who might be from a different cultural background than you. My suggestion is get to know and love people in natural ways. Do life together. Give and receive hospitality and friendship and allow space for cultural exchange to be happening while you're interacting. From there, you can maybe start to identify what are the strengths and weaknesses of your own culture and of other cultures. As I mentioned before, no one culture has it figured out all perfectly, but our societies as a whole and the church as a whole can be better and stronger if we were to learn from one another. I think Jesus just demonstrated this to us on different occasions. He would at times promote certain cultural values, operate within some neutral cultural values, and other times he would reject cultural values depending on how they aligned with the Bible and the gospel. For example, 
At Jesus' time, the culture that he was a part of would oftentimes look down on women as lesser. There are many examples of interactions that Jesus had with women that many thought were beneath him, such as the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Mary who anointed his feet. Jesus elevated these women and thereby, thereby made a point with his teachings and his actions that the cultural bias against women was not part of God's design. There were many examples of how Jesus loved people within their cultural context too. For example, Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine at the wedding. I don't think Jesus was necessarily making some kind of a statement here about whether or not Christians should drink. Actually, don't think the miracle was about the wine. You see, the family that was hosting the wedding, if they had run out of wine, it would have been a very shameful, disgracing thing for that family for years to come. This was a very community-oriented culture that placed hospitality as a very high value. What Jesus did in saving that family from horrible disgrace and looking like bad hosts was a very loving thing for him to do because of the cultural values and the context at that time. I don't think that if Jesus were here in our cultural situation today at a wedding and that same thing happened, that he would perform the same miracle. Why? Well, because we're in a totally different cultural context. It would not be as big of a deal for a family in our cultural context to run out of wine. And Jesus didn't perform that miracle just for kicks. He did it as a specific act of compassion, knowing the culture. Okay, point number two, contextualize. So contextualization is a fancy word for saying is something culturally and a situationally appropriate or relevant. And Dr. Cashem talked about this briefly, this concept. It's important for us to ask is how you are talking to people making sense to them in their context. So I had a professor once who told us a story about Bible translation. He said they had tried to translate this verse, love God with all your heart, to this tribe in their language. But the people said that it made no sense to them. Why? Well, because in their cultural context, they had assigned the liver as the organ that it is used to talk about emotions. Now, in our culture, somebody somewhere decided that it was gonna be the heart. Is there any biological reason for us to do that? Nope. <laughs> nope. And so, if they had left the translation as love God with all your heart, it would have made just as much sense to them as if someone had said to you, love God with all your liver. <laughs> just by tweaking that one word, that verse made so much more sense to them, but it didn't change the inherent meaning of the verse. So when we think about sharing a message, we have to think what is the heart of the message? What are the core parts that need to be communicated? What components can be changed so that the message is more relatable and understandable without changing that core part? This involves us being able to put ourselves in the cultural shoes of another. Because if how you communicate doesn't make sense to the recipient, your communication is ineffective. Think about, for example, if you were to send a text message using emojis to someone's phone who doesn't have the same emoji compatibility as you. It may look great from your perspective, but to the other person, they may just be seeing those little annoying squiggly boxes or the question marks or whatever. 
You may think that you're sending a great communication, but because of that incompatibility, your message can be confusing, offensive, or just nonsensical. Culture, like with language, needs to be translated and interpreted so that we can, and we need to learn to speak the cultural language of others in order to effectively communicate and have relationships. Loving people well means that we take the time to listen to them, to learn from them, and to communicate in ways that is meaningful to them. Let's look at how the Apostle Paul dis, did this in the book of Acts. So I'm not going to read this entire passage, um, but this is from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. I want to just point out a couple of he things here. First, I want to note that Paul is traveling around and around from city to city sharing the gospel. And he spent some time among the people, and he knew that the people in this culture love to have discussions. Verse 21. Later on, it goes on to say that he makes note of this altar that he saw to an unknown God in verse 23. You can go to the next slide. And later on, we see that he uses that altar as a means to share the message of the gospel with the people. So Paul understands, right? He understood the importance of discussion and oration in this culture. And by doing that, people were interested, they were intrigued in what he had to say. But it wasn't until he used something in their context to relate to them, i.e. this altar to an unknown God, that anyone truly took to heart the message that he was bringing and was transformed by it. And we can see in verse 32 and 34, after he did this, people became believers. Let's go to step number three. Understanding essence versus cultural manifestations. So, there are some things that are universally unacceptable and immoral, etc. But there are other things that are not so universal. How do we know if something is right or wrong versus just cultural? Well, we have to consider what is the essence or the core of what's going on. And then from there, you can figure out what the cultural manifestations or the cultural preferences are. And that will help us to discern. There may be some things that we believe are biblical when in fact they are just cultural. We as Christians have to be able to understand what culture in general is, what our specific culture is, and then differentiate between culture and gospel. For example, if you go to a restaurant around here and you order water, what are they gonna give you? Tap water with? Hey, even if it's freezing cold in the dead of winter, they are still gonna give you tap water with ice. This is one of my personal pet peeves. I went, because I'm always cold. Um, so I went to Malaysia one time to visit my friend. It was like 90 plus degrees. I was dying. And we go to this restaurant and I order a glass of water and do you know what they gave me? Steaming hot mug of water. Now, we may be tempted to say, that's wrong. But we've got to pause here with that thinking. In this example, what is the bottom line or what is the essence? All people have to drink. We all need water. But there are many different ways that we can deliver that water to our bodies. Cultures opt for certain preferences for a variety of reasons. Those are the cultural manifestations of that essence. So we can make a statement like, all people have to drink water, but we can't say, all people have to drink ice cold tap water. 
It's perfectly acceptable and achieves the same goal to have steaming hot water instead of ice water. Those are just cultural preferences and are not inherently right or wrong. So if we apply this to our faith, we need to think about what the essence of certain topics or practices are and what are just cultural manifestations. For example, one thing that many missionaries in cross-cultural situations have wrestled with is worship. Worshiping God would be the essence, but the type of instruments used, the style of singing, the rhythms, etc., are all cultural manifestations of that essence. When we make a judgment call about a style of worship, is what we are identifying just a different yet equally acceptable cultural manifestation, or is there something inherently wrong with it? For example, as Christians, I think we can pretty, pretty easily reject any kind of worship that is intended to glorify anyone other than God. But we can't reject worship as unbiblical, that is just a different style than we are used to, or is an instrument that we're unfamiliar with. As we look at essence versus cultural preference, it may lead us to ask, okay, so then how do we do worship in church? Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking before about contextualization. We have to look at essential biblical values of what we're trying to achieve, and from there examine our culture. We should base our decisions on what is going to make the most sense in our cultural context. In other words, what is going to resonate best with those who are in our culture, both inside and outside of the church, so that there aren't any barriers to people understanding the gospel and connecting with God. Okay, so that's essence and um, cultural manifestation. Let's go to number four. Remember that different is not the same as bad or wrong. When you're in cross-cultural situations, it's really important to withhold judgment until you can learn more. People look at things from a very different perspective, and your interpretation of a situation is likely very different. Remember Musa and the gum, right? A different lens. Another example. Think about the pauses that happen between sentences when you're conversing. In the US, when you have a conversation with someone, it's typically considered appropriate to allow a brief pause after someone finishes speaking before you add your contribution to the conversation. If someone interrupts a speaker before they finish talking, it can be considered rude. Now, when I was studying abroad in Chile, I had a Chilean friend say to me that in order to be a good conversationalist, you have to interrupt the speaker from time to time and share your thoughts. If you don't, he said, people will assume that you have nothing interesting to say and or you're not engaged in the conversation. So in other words, in that cultural context, interrupting is not only not rude, but a way of showing respect and engagement. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. So if we go back to that previous point, we have to consider the essence versus the cultural manifestation. In this situation, as people who live in the US, we may be tempted to say that it's wrong to interrupt someone while they're talking. Not necessarily, right? We have to be very careful about making these kinds of statements because yes, it is arguably a biblical value to show respect and engagement in a conversation with someone, right? The essence of the matter. But the appropriate length of a pause between speakers is just a cultural manifestation or a cultural preference. Number five, the last point here. Beware of ethnocentrism. 
So ethnocentrism is another big fancy word that just means it's the belief that your culture and your ways of doing things and things that you believe are the only way or the best way and all others are in some way deficient. The ugliest form of ethnocentrism is one that leads people to believe that they are in some way superior and that people from other cultures are lesser. Throughout history and even today, other cultures and other people have been looked down on as lesser or subhuman or barbaric or savage and have been mistreated and abused in all types of ways because of an ethnocentric belief. Ethnocentrism is unbiblical and not the posture that God calls us to have towards others. But unfortunately, ethnocentrism can be as natural to humans as being selfish is. It's, I think, a default reaction that we have to consciously combat and ask the Lord to help us with. So let me give you an example of a subtle ethnocentrism, one that I know I have been guilty of doing in the past. If you have ever met someone and said to them, you have an accent, or if you've ever said to someone, I don't have an accent, that can be a display of ethnocentrism. Why? Well, the statement implies that the version of English that you speak is the right and true one, and that anybody else who differs from your version is the one with the accent. Now think about the implications of ethnocentrism in regards to our faith. Do we believe something is true and biblical because it truly is, or because we were culturally conditioned to? It's not to say that we should throw out all of our beliefs and traditions, just that we need to examine how much influence our cultural lens and possibly our own ethnocentrism has had on our beliefs. Ethnocentrism unchecked can be a dangerous thing, but the Lord is gracious to us and he is there to help and guide us, especially when we ask him to. So to conclude and, and wrap up our time this morning together, um, I want to talk about this, yeah, just the connection between the gospel and culture and, and wrap it all up. Um, first of all, I just want to make the point, it says, the first one up there says the gospel only exists in culture, and I want to just add a caveat to it. The gospel does exist outside of culture, in all of eternity and in, in ways that we can't really understand. With our limited human understanding, we don't have the faculties to grasp it in that way. Um, and this is because all of humanity exists within some kind of a cultural framework. Therefore, we have only ever seen the gospel within the context of cultural frameworks. This means that we as humans will need to better understand the culture around us and the culture all around the world so that we can understand how it influences our interpretation of the gospel. When we learn more from and about how other cultures operate, it allows us to be better communicators of the gospel, to serve the world better, because it allows us to have a lot more clarity of the gospel. In other words, it's an understanding of the gospel that isn't tied to cultural bias. I think for these reasons and more, God has designed our faith in such a way that in order to be the best Christ followers we can be, we have to be interculturally minded and need cultural diversity in the body of Christ. Christians around the world are meant to be interdependent on one another. When we look at Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 14, it talks about this vision of heaven where there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation represented worshiping God together. 
And I think when we look at Galatians, Galatians 3, it says, you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all have been united with Christ in baptism and have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ, and you belong to Christ. I really, truly believe that God is calling us to be a unified family across our differences. So, all right. So I just, with a final admonishment, want to say, let's go forward seeking not uniformity, but unity, celebrating our cultural differences, loving and serving and worshiping God together. And if anybody wants a piece of gum, I have a whole pack. (laughs) 